Amen. Thank you, Sam. All right, so if you like the topic of leadership, um, or if you're in a, in a position of leadership, uh, one of the main guys in the leadership space is a guy named Patrick Lencioni. And I've used quotes by him before. I've probably sent links to him. I probably will in this next email. Uh, he wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which was pretty popular. He wrote a book called The Advantage, which was pretty popular. And all of his work is just about working on teams. Or, almost all of his work is wor- about working on teams. And so he has a, a slide that he, that he calls the, uh, the Team Pyramid or the Trust Pyramid. And he has five characteristics of what it takes to have a good team. So here's his uh, pyramid. And he says, you know, at the very bottom is, is trust, that that's the foundation for everything. If you don't have trust in your team, and you can be thinking about this with you and your family, you and your spouse, or obviously you and your workplace, or if you're on a committee of any kind, you're part of the HOA or you're part of a church committee, whatever that is, these are the foundations, he says, and I think they're accurate, for every highly functioning team. It doesn't mean the team can't work in some form. He's just saying, this is how you have a highly functioning team. And the basis of a highly functioning team is you have trust, which is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and he goes on to say, you know, if you, without trust, you're never going to enter into healthy conflict. Because you're not going to trust the person with what you really think, or you're not going to trust what they say. I don't really trust your opinion, so I don't care what you think about me or think about this problem. And so if, with, with a lack of trust, you're never going to be able to enter into this healthy, not, not arguments, but conflict where you say, okay, we've kind of wrestled this out, and we have commitments now, which is the next level. We've talked about this, and you kind of want to go right, and I want to kind of go left, but we've talked about it. We've had our conflict to say, now, now we've chosen this way to go. And you're never going to have people who are really bought in if you don't have trust and that conflict and commitment. And then third, he says, uh, you're gonna, then you're going to avoid accountability. If you don't have trust, you're going to avoid accountability. You don't, you don't want somebody to hold you accountable that you don't trust. And then... If you don't have all those things, then your results are going to be poor. So most of the time, you Super Bowl team, anything like that that's recent, you know, somebody wins, well, what was it? Well, we loved each other, we were a team, all these kind of language pieces that are trust pieces. Somehow, this was a team that really trusted each other is usually how that comes out. And if you don't really have that, then in the end, the results are ego-driven or individually driven. And you've been on a team like that before, where, hey, this guy, he's a superstar, but really he's just about himself and his stats or his sales or his things. He's not part of the team. He's just using the team to get to where he wants to go. So there's really a lack of trust. And so I want to talk about this. And probably the, one of the best pictures of trust for me is a trapeze artist. And uh, I found this little clip of uh, Circus de Soleil, I think that's how you say it. You've probably heard of these guys. They're like the top, you know, acrobats. I think you see them in Las Vegas, they have a show. But the Circus of the Sun is what it is in French. 
They're from Montreal. Um, and, uh, the, you know, they, they perform at very high uh, places. And I want to just look at this. And then I want to read some uh, comments that one of the guys in this uh, group said. So let's watch it. It's 30 seconds, and we'll rewatch it a time or two. Okay, so we're going to watch this, and he, uh, Ty's just going to put it on mute. And this was the article that accompanied this little uh, piece. So you can be thinking about what this guy says as you look at it. When I first saw this, I thought, okay, I'm not built for the Circus de Soleil. I mean, that's not uh, my personal body style right there. But here's this guy. It's, it was an article about the flyer, this main guy who's doing all the somersaults, and the guy who hangs upside down is called the catcher. And uh, the flyer said the first thing that's important to be involved in this group is each individual must bring their own level of discipline, strength, and training. So before you get on the team, you have to have your own individual capacity for discipline, strength, and training. And so as you come into a team, or especially if you're a team leader, you've got to be trustworthy. You're not going to get trustworthy by just being around other people that are trustworthy. You've got to bring your own discipline. You've got to bring your own strength. You've got to bring your own training. And here's what the flyer said. I know he's going to catch me every time. I, that, that, that never goes through my mind that he's not going to catch me. And so just a question for you and your wife, you and your team, you and your business, whatever that is, are you trustworthy? You're, you are going to catch them every time. Not I don't mean this in, in a perfect way, but what you say you're actually going to do. That's what I'm talking about. When you say, hey, I'm going to show up for this, or I'm going to be there, or I'm going to do this thing, Whatever it is, small or large, they're, they're going to say, hey, Paul, he's going to do it every time. So just do you bring that to the table? Do you bring that level of trustworthiness to the table? That your wife, your business partner, that what you say, you're going to catch them every time on what you promise to do. One study says this. 60% of people lie during a typical 10-minute conversation. I don't know if that's true or not, but this was just a pretty well-known study. And they just, they just talk, they just, after 10 constant, 10 continuous minutes of a conversation, 60% of the people somewhere just had a little lie. Men lie almost twice as much as women, according to this study. So you might just want to ask yourself, am I really good for my word? Do I really, what I say, that's what I'm going to do. Then the, he has this quote, we can be in something exceptionally adventurous because of our training and our trust. 
We, we get to be in the Cirque de Soleil. We get to be in something exceptionally adventurous because of our trust. But if you don't have a lot of trust, you're not going to get into something exceptionally adventurous because you don't trust people. You're not going to take a leap of faith with a team to say, let's try and reach this goal. Let's try and do something. You're not going to be in an adventure with your wife. It's going to just degradate to sort of apathy. You don't really trust each other. You kind of end up each going your own way. And it's not an adventure. It's just stagnant. And so in order to build that, you have to have trust. So my, my question is just, what's your level of being trustworthy? That's the question we're going to ask and answer. Another way to think about this, trust is the currency you use in your relationships. Think about trust as money. I hand somebody a dollar. That's not, that's not a lot of trust. If I lose the dollar, I'm not thinking about it. I hand somebody $1,000, yeah. That's a lot of trust. So these guys in the Cirque de Soleil, they're, they're handing off $1,000 bills. They have a high level of trust. And so just think about you, again, in your little team. You're going to work today. You probably work in a team. What, what, what do you hand back and forth? Dollar bills? Don't really trust that guy. Don't really trust them. Don't really trust, trust her. Or is it $10 bills or is it $1,000 bills? What is it? What's the currency that you use between you and your wife? Just think, that's another way to think about it. So this morning, I want to talk about trust, and I want to talk about it from three different, sort of three different gauges. Uh, and the first gauge is um, personal vulnerability. So when you read about this from Patrick Lencioni, he wants to define trust as your ability or capacity to be vulnerable. That's how he's talking about it. So you know there's a high degree of trust when your willingness to be vulnerable. So he says, if you're the boss, this is how, you, I'll send you a little clip. And say, Patrick Lencioni say, you got to get naked in front of your people. You got to be willing to, to show them that, that you're a, a person, not a robot, especially as the leader, if you want to build that. You can think about whether that happens or not, but let's just think about how Jesus does this. First of all, how does he enter into the world? In the most vulnerable way you could possibly enter into the world. So just in his first step, he's the king of kings, and his first step is into this massive amount of vulnerability. He cannot possibly make it in human form without a lot of help. I mean, I had my grandson this past weekend, two years old. He needs a lot of help. And it's amazing, isn't it, that, that, that humans, you know, you, 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 if you're a giraffe born in the wild, it doesn't take long before you can get up and walk on your own and eat. But for a human, it takes a long time. And Jesus steps into the world very vulnerable, and he needs a lot of help. Then at this first step into ministry is to call 12 men. And it wasn't just so, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you learn. That was definitely one of the pieces. But I actually need you to help me. I'm built for relationship. I'm built for companionship. And if I don't have you all in my life, 
I'm not going to be able to complete my task. And you see that in a lot of different ways, but especially in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here, here's, here's his most darkest moment. What does he say? Hey, you three, you three, come with me. I just need you right now to be near me. I'm vulnerable. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling pressed down. I need people to come and be around me. So you see this vulnerability. Jesus wept. Jesus got tired. Jesus slept. Jesus got hungry. These are all pieces of being vulnerable. But somehow in in leadership, you feel like, oh, I I can't let anybody see a weakness. I can't let anybody see my humanity. And that, that then doesn't really actually build the kind of trust that you want. And then there's another great little passage in Luke chapter 8 where he mentions the 12 disciples, but then he goes on to say uh, there's a group of women that accompany Jesus, and it says this, quote, providing Jesus, providing for Jesus out of their means. So Jesus can't do full-time ministry and full-time carpentry. So he makes himself vulnerable. He says, hey, I need this a group of people who have means to help me eat, to provide money for other things, to move forward. I, I, I'm vulnerable. I, need, I have needs. So here's a, here's a way just to think about whether there's a high degree of trust in you, first of all, and in your team. Phrases like this will happen. I messed up. Your idea is better than mine. I need help. I admire your ability. Those are the kinds of phrases in a team where there's a lot of trust that you'll hear. So just, you're the leader, and ask yourself, are you saying those kinds of, if you're not saying those kind of things, very hard for get other people to say them back. So are you saying, Patrick Lencioni says, he goes to these big-time executives, and he works at, you know, the Fortune 100 companies, and he asks the leader, can somebody else in your team be smarter than you? Is that okay? For a lot of these people, you know what the answer is? No. So they don't have a high level of trust there. So that just for, for me and you, is it okay if your wife is smarter than you? Because for many of you, your wife is smarter than you. I know some of your wives. Is it okay that somebody that's below you on the org chart has got a better idea than you? That, that they have some skill that you don't have? And can you say, man, I really appreciate your ability to do is that the stuff that comes out of your mouth? And if it is, then you're, you're building trust with your team. You're building trust. So I'm, 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 a, I'm real, I'm not a robot. That's one way you build this trust. Second thing is uh, how you know you have the ability, that this foundation of trust, is you're able to speak the truth in love. This is a a gauge that you would look at and say, are we able to do this on our team? Ephesians 4, Paul's talking about bringing people into maturity in in Christian living. And Jesus gave some people the gift of leadership, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors. It's listed in Ephesians 4. In order to, so there's a group of leaders that have certain kind of leadership gifts to equip people. And just notice what it says, to build 
and bring people like that, building, equipping, building, and bringing people into maturity. That's just such a great picture of a leader, really apart from Christian life. That's what you want to do. I want to, I want to equip somebody. I want to build somebody. I want to bring them into maturity. Mature manhood, speaking the truth in love. In order for someone to grow, you're going to have to have the capacity to speak truth, which can be hard to hear, in love to your wife, to your kids, to the people you work with. Now, some people are so loving, they never get around to speaking the truth. You've met those people. Some people, and you've met these people, they love telling you the truth, but they don't have any passion or compassion or empathy. And so Jesus says about himself, uh, John 1.14, he's full of grace and truth. So my question is, in order to grow as a person, Paul, I'm going to have to enter into conflict. These places where people are going to speak the truth in love. And am I willing to hear it? And then, because I'm the leader of an organization, I'm going to have to step into a lot of conversations and speak the truth in love to somebody. And am I willing to say it? So you might just ask yourself, are you really willing to hear that kind of feedback? And when you have to give the feedback, do you do it speaking the truth in love? Now, here's where we go to Mark chapter 10. And I really love this little conversation because I think it uh, exemplifies uh, how Jesus does it. And it's a very, very uh, well-known conversation. Jesus is setting out on a journey, Mark 10, 17. And this man comes up. We know him as the rich young ruler. Good teacher. Now, I, I, I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt, that he's got a good heart, he means well, he's just really blind to himself. But maybe he's really prideful, I don't know. But let's just try to give him the benefit of the doubt. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he knows there's something uh, about eternity that he wants to be involved with. He believes Jesus somehow can give some answers to this. And then Jesus says, verse 19, you know the commandments, you got to keep these commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. All these things in the Ten Commandments. Verse 20, and he, the rich young ruler, said to Jesus, hey, you know, I'm perfect. I've kept all those. So you know this guy's either massively egotistical or massively blind because there's no way he's kept all these things. But somehow he thinks a lot more of himself. Again, maybe he's got a good heart, just doesn't quite see himself accurately. And here's what I want, us to, want you to see. Okay, so Jesus has been confronted by this guy, and he's got to tell him the truth. But he's got to tell it in love. He's got to somehow communicate it this way. Now, look what, look what it says. Um, and Jesus, looking at him, this is verse 21, Jesus looking at him, what does it say? He loved him. And then he said, hey, buddy, you lacked one thing. Go sell all you have. Give your possessions to the poor. You've done so many great things. There's just this one thing. He doesn't blast him. Like, you're an idiot, man. No. He says, 
oh, great, you've done so many good things. There's just one more thing. Now, Jesus is getting to really his, the one thing that's the idol. We all understand that. But he looks at him and loves him. And here, here's one of the, maybe if you just took away this one thing, when you're entering into these kind of difficult dialogues, what are you thinking about the person you're talking to? Because whatever that is, that all comes out in nonverbal body language. So when, I think when Jesus looks at this guy and loves him, whether the guy really picks up on it or not, he knows he's somehow this guy's for me. He's not judging me. He's not coming down on me. He's trying to get beside me and say, man, I, I want you to succeed. You just, there's just one more thing you need to do. He's trying to get beside the guy and move forward. And, and so my question is when you're having an argument with your wife, are you looking at her and, and thinking, I love you? When you're having a conversation with your boss, when you're having a conversation on a committee. See, whatever you're thinking about that person, it's going to come out somehow. It might be in your tone, might be in the way you, you present yourself. It's a lot of different ways, but Jesus is full of grace and truth. And one of the main ways he communicates his love is just his personal feelings towards this person. He wants to say, hey, I love you first. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. Is that you? You have a lot of trust when you can make that happen. I remember uh, a guy that I had a relationship with. Every time I got into a conversation, and I don't know if it was just the two of us. I don't know if it was me. It seemed like it was him, but I mean, I don't know. It just seemed like every conversation, someone had to win the conversation. I don't know if you've ever had those kind of people. I mean, it didn't matter if you're talking about your shoes or sports or theological thing or the weather. It just sort of felt like we kind of got into a conversation and it got, somebody's got to win. And so I didn't have a lot of trust with that. After a while, trust really wasn't built because I thought we're always competitors somehow. And I, I just wonder when you get into a conversation, especially a crucial conversation, are you looking at the person and saying, I'm going to win this argument? See, that's a different kind of communication style. Jesus isn't trying to win the argument. He's trying to help the guy. Now, he is going to win the argument but because he's Jesus. But do you see what I'm saying? He's trying to say, I'm not here to win. I'm not here to pin you down. I'm not here to say, look at me. I'm here to help you move in the right direction. You're, you're one step away from etern, eternal life, the one thing you're looking for. I'll help you. Let's take that one step together. Go get rid of all that stuff and let's fo follow me. I'll help you. Is that, is that the way you operate in your marriage? Is that the way you operate on your teams? Because you do have an operational style. This is, a, this is the way Jesus operates. There's a high level of trust. He builds that. There's a funny little cartoon that I show in, uh, and I'll read the caption to you in just a moment. I show this all, always in um, uh, once a year to the leadership team here at Christ Community Church. 
Uh, after Ted closes with prayer, there'll be a brief meeting in the parking lot to determine what, if anything, actually got decided. You ever been in teams like this? They, they don't really trust each other in the room. And everyone knows it. And Paul and, and Martin are going to go out in the parking lot and they're going to figure out what has to happen. And that's, that's how it works. Almost everybody's been in some kind of situation like that. And when you have decisions being made in the parking lot, you don't have trust on your team. You're at, you're at a conference table with your group, and then the conference breaks up. You walk down the hall, and you go, yeah, they're deciding what to do. And you know it. Everybody knows how the game's played. What that tells you is you don't have very much trust in the room. You know there's trust in the room when the parking lot conversation isn't making decisions about what should have been made in the room. So I tell all my leaders, hey, you can talk about sports, you can talk about how great the meeting was, you can't make decisions in the parking lot at Christ Community Church. If you got something to say, you got to say it in the meeting. We have to have that level of trust and so just think about how does, how does this operate for you? Many of you are in leadership positions, and you get a chance to control how this happens. Finally, the third gauge, third gauge is uh, your willingness to delegate authority. Your willingness to delegate authority. Real trust gets displayed when you're willing to delegate authority. You know this. Every leader knows this, young or old. You could be at the bottom of the food chain, it's your first job, and you know if they trust you when they say, hey, Will, can you handle this new project? But if that never happens to Will, then he, it doesn't take long before Will realizes they trust the other guys. They don't trust me. They're not, some, there's something wrong. And as the leader, you know you've got trust in somebody if you're willing to hand it off. Hey, you, you take that role. So today, I could have prayed. I prayed a lot of times. But I'm helping Sam as a young man. I'm delegating authority. You be the person who stands up in front of these 50 men and prays. You just got to think of yourself as, am I willing to delegate authority? Or do I always have to be at the very top of the food chain? And so this is what I love about Jesus is he takes real risk by delegating authority. It's not, it's not delegating authority if there's no risk involved with it. So he takes real risk, and here's some passages uh, in Matthew 16. Uh, well, let's see. Actually, I want to go to this one. Matthew 4, uh, Jesus starts out on his ministry. This is the very beginning of his ministry. And uh, he, said, he says this, Jesus goes throughout Galilee, he's proclaiming the gospel, he's healing people, Matthew 4. Uh, a few years later, probably a year and a half maybe, Luke 10, uh, Jesus appoints 72 others to send them ahead two by two in every town where they're going to heal and proclaim the kingdom of God. You, you, feel, you feel that? Jesus comes in, the very first thing he does is start healing people, proclaiming the kingdom of God. 18 months later, hey, you guys, you guys go do it. You all do it. Because I'm not going to be here forever. And I need to delegate that authority. All of us are in positions that we're working our way out of the position. So you need to be thinking, well, how are my kids going to grow up? 
How's the church going to survive? How is my business going to, how is all this going to happen? Am I delegating authority in the right ways so people can grow, so they can be stretched? And to me, Jesus, he takes real risks. He takes real risk on each of us. Uh, Matthew 16, there's a lot of doctrine in this issue, but Jesus says, hey, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. So whatever that means, we don't have a time to discuss that, it definitely means power to open things and close things. That's what keys do. And I'm taking keys out of my pocket to my car, and everybody's done this who have a 16-year-old son. Nathan, how old are you? 15? 15. So pretty soon, Spence, you remember this? Usually I'm in the car with you, but pretty soon Spence going to take the keys out and say, Nathan, you can drive away by yourself. That's, <laughs> that's what I say. <laughs> but that's, you feel that responsibility? I mean, most of us, you know, many of us have been in the room or been on the driveway when your kid drove away by themselves. You're like, holy cow, what is I subjected Wilmington to? Right? It's de- that's what Jesus is doing. I'm going to let you have the keys now. You're going to drive the car. What a big risk. What a huge risk. And he's given it to me. He's given it to all of us at some level. So he's willing to delegate authority. And so my question for you is, how willing are you to delegate authority if you're the leader? If you're not the leader and somebody delegates you authority, are you trustworthy are you going to do what you say? Are you going to say, yeah, I'm going to be able to make that happen, and you, you follow through on it? There are lots of ways to think about this, and I've probably said this before, uh, but I kept trying to think of just ways to help my, my high school student who's in ninth grade be able to one day go to college and be literally on their own, not financially, but they have to wake themselves up, they have to study, they have to go do everything on their own. And so I think I heard it somewhere, but it was helpful in a little paradigm for me to say, okay, in ninth grade, Zachary, Morgan, my two kids, in ninth grade, I'm going to delegate 25% authority to you. So I just, I just mentally tried to think, where are some ways now in ninth grade I can say, you decide. Not, not, not super giant decisions, but just starting to make that. Then in 10th grade, I wanted to look at him and say, and I did, hey, I'm going to try to give you 50%. 50%. Because I'm getting you ready for 100%. And if I give you 10% all the way through and then you got 100, you're not ready to hold the whole 100. So in, in their junior year, I'm going to give you 75%. Your senior year, while I'm still around, I'm going to give you 90%. So junior year, my son said, hey, Dad, I want to go to this party. Tell me about the party. It's down at the beach. The guy's parents aren't around. I don't know these people very well. I said, Zachary, you're a junior in high school. I must look at the playbook, and I can tell you what the playbook says. No, no way. This time next year, if you ask, I'm going to say yes. Because you're going to have to make that decision the next year. Am I going to go to those kinds of places? That's going to be on you. And I want you to take that risk while I'm still here. I'm going to delegate that authority. Now, you could say that's not a great plan, whatever. That's fine. My thing is, do you have a plan for that? Whether you have kids or whether it's in your business. 
Do you have a strategic plan to say, I'm strategically delegating authority so that, that at the po- point when the person's on their own, they have the capacity to hold the weight of 100%. When you delegate authority, you trust. You have a high level of trust. If you can't delegate authority, you don't trust anybody, and they know you don't trust them. They know it. So let's talk about these three gauges. We've got about 15 minutes here. I'd get in a group of three or no more than four and uh, answer these questions, and then we'll, we'll have some breakfast. Ready? Break. Break. 